0: Welcome to this week's edition of Island Recast. For more information on Grand Memorial Presbyterian Church or Pastor David, please go to gmpc.org. Boy, I tell you, it's always hard to follow the act of wonderful, wonderful worship, leading and singing. And uh, we just had that. That was fantastic. I uh, told the sound man in the back, uh, my brother back there, I said, If you leave my mic on for the singing, we will have a great exodus out of the church. (laughs) So please don't do that. And he assured me he wouldn't and thank God that he did not. So it would be living chapter 14 of the book of Exodus again. We'd be leaving quickly. So, but isn't that beautiful? There is a portion of that that really stuck with us, isn't it? As Christ has died to make men holy, let us live to make men free. Our God is marching on. What a powerful thing. I want to tell you how blessed we are to be here. We have thoroughly, thoroughly loved being at Grand Memorial Presbyterian Church the last two years. And if you let me just a second let you know that I've been in the Navy now, I've been in the military off and on since 1986. I've been in the United States Navy as a chaplain over 16 years now. Been blessed to serve the Coast Guard, the Marine Corps, and the Navy. Just finished my tour two years as command chaplain on USS Essex, a big deck amphib across the bay, and uh, we're going to Naval, U.S. Naval Forces Korea where I'm going to be the chaplain there. So our overseas tour is coming up. Uh, I am married to my wife Paula for 34 years, and we have five children, one of which is still with us, the other four are gone. So he's a great blessing, and I want to thank God for this church. Pastor David has been a co-laborer and a mentor of mine for two years you got to understand, when you are serving and giving out in the community or in the military, you look for someone to mentor and love and pour into you. That's the key. And we also look for a great church that loves us. And we found that the 4th of July of 2019, as we were walking back from the parade, uh, Pastor Ralph, he's like a pastor to me, Ralph, said, come on and let's get some hot dogs, and they served us hot dogs, and we were stuck. I was raised Presbyterian. In a church similar to this, a beautiful old church, stained glass, things like that. Although in South Carolina, you can't raise the windows and get cool because it is hot. Air conditioners a must, right? But here, I'm going to miss this. Anyway, uh, but I married a Baptist and became a Baptist, as many of you can understand. But I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And that's what's so very important. So we have felt home here. I want to thank Pastor John so much for loving on our son and caring for him because you understand that when you're operational you're away from family a lot and you hope and pray that the church can step in and they've done that with all of our children and John's done that with our youngest Andrew so thank you John Uh, God bless this church and thank you so very much hundreds of years ago the movie Braveheart came out not hundreds of years ago but depicted the great Scotsman William Wallace has you ever seen that movie it's a good movie now, I don't know exactly how accurate historically this is, but on his dying deathbed, as he was being tortured, he yelled out the word, freedom! He fought all his adult, most of his adult life, to bring freedom to Scotland under that were only British tyranny. Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., on his great speech, I have a dream. In the steps of Washington, D.C., many of you may remember, this was before my time, 1963, talked about that if freedom truly, truly rings, and there is social justice over social injustice, there is economic justice over economic injustice, and freedom rings out, what a difference it will make that men will be free and equal in our country. And he finished his saying with the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, we are free at last. Today, we focus on the word freedom. And I ask you today, what really does that mean? Well, it obviously means being free uh, from any type of tyranny, like William Wallace wanted, or like Martin Luther King said, being economically and, and socially, legally free. And we're still striving towards that in many areas of our country today. But is there something deeper than that when we talk about freedom? Or something that's a foundation that gives to that when we're talking about freedom? I love military communities. I love being able to be in a military community and being able to minister to military folks. And one of the reasons why I love them is because they come, you know, there's only a half a percent of our nation serves our country. And they come to serve our country. I've watched... And been a part of in Afghanistan and Iraq especially Afghanistan we've lost eight people they died for the freedom of our country and I am blessed to be able to be on a warship where I can preach the gospel of Jesus Christ at the right time in the right place isn't that amazing and nine o'clock every night we pray on warships across our country isn't that amazing don't you wish that would be the case everywhere in America when well, we do that in the military. So I'm blessed. And I owe a great gratitude of debt as we all do to those who went before us to establish our freedom. But again, I want to go something a little deeper. What is the foundation of this freedom that gives to everything else today? I want you to turn with me if you have your Bibles. And it's going to be page 807 in the Pew NIV Brother, I am so glad we we're able to get those Bibles back in the pews. You know, it's good to put it on the, on the screen. That's good. But I love to hear pages of Bible open up. So if you have your own personal Bible or you have the pew Bible, it's 807. And we're going to look there in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we're going to begin with verse 18. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. If you look up at me, I know you've got it. And I have to tell you a little story. I'm kind of a dinosaur. All right, I'm long in the tooth when it comes to the military. But years ago, we were at another chapel I was preaching, and I became incensed that my Marines were looking at their phones while I was preaching. And they say, Chaplain, here's your scripture right here. You can't teach an old dog too many new tricks. So, I see these tablets out. That's great, too. That's great, too. So let's start with verse 18. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. And I'm reading by, from the ESV, okay? You may be following from another version, but you can follow right along. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preached to save those who believe. Verse 23, 22, excuse me. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Verse 26, for consider your calling, brothers and sisters. Not many of you are wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. He chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might be able to boast in the presence of God. And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Please bow with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray you would move me out of the way. Through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would open people's hearts, ears, and minds to receive your word. You would speak through me, nothing more, nothing less, all for your glory. And for the glory of the resurrected Messiah, Jesus Christ. I pray your Holy Spirit will be at work pointing people to Christ. Pointing people through Christ to you. And people may know you deeply today. And we may see who we are in Christ, what we have in Christ, this freedom 4th of July. And live it out. Help us to not just be hearers, but doers of the word as well. Thank you. We love you. We lift all this up. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. I'd like to draw your attention especially to verse 30. 1 Corinthians 1. And because of him, you are in Christ. Because of God, he chose us, he drew us, we're in Christ, who became to us wisdom from God. Let's stop right there for just a second. The first portion of that entire passage of Scripture talks about the wisdom and the strength of God. God's foolishness is greater than man's wisdom or what man may perceive as God's foolishness. God's weakness is greater than man's strength. We read this morning in the Old Testament about the exodus of the children of Israel and how they were brought out. I call it a divine setup. Because if you read that passage of Scripture, God said, bring them to this point. Well, now if you're a tactical person at all and you're thinking about things, why would you be brought to a large body of water when you knew a great army, the greatest in the world, was coming down on you? You'd be trapped. But it was a divine setup. Because God knew he was going to show his glory and his power. You see, the nation of Egypt thought it was very foolish that they let the slaves go. The slaves were following the Lord, and now they were free, the children of Israel. And Moses led them right there to the Red Sea, and the Egyptians bared down. Now, human logic says that's foolishness. It is not the way to go. They should not have trapped themselves like that. It is plain foolishness. But God's logic is wise, said, I'm going to show my glory. And so you know the story. It was read well that the nation of Egypt comes barreling down with all their chariots. and it, 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 The Bible said basically they emptied out all their arsenal to chase after these released slaves. Pharaoh was mad. And he bore down. And when he did, they screamed out. In fact, they told Moses, I think it's pretty funny. He told Moses, Is there not enough graves? Why do you bring us out here to die in the desert? And Moses cries out to God, and God says, stay with the plan. Focus on what I told you to do. Look over the water. You have my strength. Wave over the waters. And sure enough, a pillar goes between the Egyptian army and the Israelites and covers that, covers them. And that whole night, God does a powerful work, and the water is separated, in the nation of Israel, the children of Israel, Moves, before they even become a nation, moves into the water. And the Egyptians think they're going to do the same thing. So they bring in their horses and chariots and go down in that water and, and that old muck in the bottom of that big lake bed. And they get bogged down. And God starts to bring about the waves over them and crushes them. Can you imagine being there? Can you imagine how you would feel and then when you saw God do a glorious thing, that all the Egyptians were dead, all their horses were dead, all their chariots dead, how powerful God is. For his wisdom is much wiser than man's. His weakness is powerful, much more powerful than man. Or maybe Judges 6 where Gideon, the least in his family, the least in the clan, the clan is the least in the tribe of Manassas, was chosen to go against people as numerous, it said, as their camels were, as the sands of the sea. Tens of thousands. And God weeded that army down, not to 32,000, not to 10,000, but to 300. Because God plus one makes a majority. And he said, with these 300, you leading them as I lead you, we will destroy this nation coming upon you, these peoples. And he does. Or maybe in the New Testament, Acts chapter 4, where we see the disciples and they were empowered by the Holy Spirit and they healed this man in chapter four and they are brought into question as everybody can see it and praise God and Sanhedrin questions them and the Bible says they answer as one that was full of knowledge and learning but yet they were unlearned people because they had the power of the Holy Spirit in them and they could tell that Peter and John had been with Jesus well I hope that's the case in my life. They can tell I've been with Jesus. God takes things and turns it on its head because God's weakness is stronger than man. And God's wisdom, it seems to man, foolishness is much more profound. We serve an awesome God, which will not let man boast in himself, for God is the source of everything. He gives us that wisdom. But the greatest wisdom he has given us is in Jesus Christ. You see, the Bible says in verse 30 that in God's wisdom, Christ is our righteousness when he has chosen us to come to him. And we have said, yes, he is our righteousness. He is our sanctification. And he is our redemption. He gives us great wisdom in Christ. Back in... When I got out of the military the first time in 1993 as a Marine officer, I was called into ministry in the seminary, Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Fort Worth, and I was uh, wanting to come back in as a chaplain, and this was earlier in my career, in my life, and so God had the plans for me at the time. During seminary, I began to pastor a church, and and I know that Presbyterians don't traditionally do this, But in the Baptist circles, you can be ordained in the seminary. And I began to pastor a church. And I was there for about a year and a half. And God called me to do something that was beyond human logic. In fact, most people looked at it and said it would be foolishness. He called me to stay right there. Now, I had three children, or soon to be three, and we eventually had a fourth one. So we needed some dollar signs to live, right? This little church had never had a full-time pastor before in those hills in north central Texas with ranch folks, pretty tough folks. And we loved being there for the first year and a half, but I knew I was going elsewhere. It was a stepping stone, right? But God said, no, you stay. You stay. And I said, Lord, I don't want to stay. He said, I didn't ask you if you wanted to stay or not. You stay. You stay. Now, my wife was happy because she loves the country. But we, we ended up, when we stayed full-time, moving from that efficiency apartment that we went to for the weekends as we preached and we went to seminary to a full-time home, but the closest place they could find was only 10 miles away because she'd have more cows in these parts of Texas than there were people. And the place they found was a ranch home. And the water, when you turn, the, it was an old home built in the 30s, and it hadn't been a whole lot of update. Since the 90s, or 60 years, if my arithmetic's correct. You turn the water on, it looked more like iced tea than water you get out of the faucet because something called rust allergy was in the water. My wife was always the positive optimist. She'd say, well, people in Hollywood pay a lot of money for mud baths. <laughs> and there was a storm cellar in that premises that had been covered that had been a copperhead's nest. And there were bitty copperheads everywhere. And I can remember Anna, our oldest, maybe this is why now she's a missionary, but she would move back to a stillborn or dearborn heater in the, in the uh, mornings, and she would singe her hair because that's the only way it could we could get heated up. And someone told us when we moved in, we said, we don't have any keys to lock this place. He says, sweetheart, it doesn't matter. You're so far out in the country, if somebody wanted you, they'd kick the door open and nobody would hear it anyway. <laughs> we were out there, and it was a small church, and I felt God put me out in fifth string, if you would. I mean, I wasn't even in the reserves. Why was he doing that? And I wrestled and I struggled with God, and I wrestled and I struggled with God. And the only solace I found was in the word of God. And he would renew my mind and make it from one day to another. He brought a dear pastor friend in my life who I'm in touch with today who mentored me during that time. But little did I know 25 years ago that God was preparing me For a life of chaplaincy in the military. Where when people would come to me and talk to me. I'd be able to understand what it means to have three kids. And only make a couple of thousand dollars a year. Or excuse me a month. Wasn't that bad. A couple thousand dollars a month. I'd understand some of their plights. Because I'd been there. And God had dealt with me. You see I couldn't see it then. But what seemed foolishness to me was his great wisdom today. God gives us wisdom in Jesus Christ. But that's not all he gives us. If you look with me again in verse 30, in that wisdom, he gives us righteousness. Righteousness. Righteousness in Christ. Do you realize that? Here's the thing I want us to understand. Christianity seems to mistake one way or the other on several things. One thing is this. Either folks say they become very legalistic and they start using rules to follow To gain God's approval. But that's totally false. God has given us his complete approval at the cross in Jesus Christ. You see, God's standard to enter into heaven is not being good or trying your best. It is perfection. Not a bad word, thought, or deed. There's only one who ever lived a perfect life, and that is Jesus the Christ. And when we receive him, he covers us with his perfection. Pastor David says a forensic righteousness. I can't pick that up from you. I'll use it. I'll tell you it's an imputed righteousness that God puts on us as we receive Christ through repentance and faith so that when he looks at me, he no longer looks at my sin. He sees the perfection of Christ over me and he says, child, you're in my life. You're in my family. You're going to be in my heaven because you're perfect in Christ. That is the righteousness Jesus Christ gives us. We don't earn it. That's the righteousness. If we took a red lettered Bible, Jesus's words, right? We were able to give some of those out on the ship. And if you know, if you take a red letter Bible and you take a flashlight, and you go out at nighttime and you take that red letter flashlight, a red lens flashlight on that red letter Bible, it washes the words completely off. That's a good way to show someone what Jesus does when they come to the cross and ask His forgiveness. He washes our sins completely away, as if it had never happened, and He covers us with Himself. There's a righteousness imputed to us that we don't deserve or ever can earn. One bad thought, one bad deed. You know, when I normally talk to people about Jesus, and by the way, as a chaplain, don't ever think that we're not able to relieve people to Christ. I've been able to do it a lot. Much more than being a pastor because the pastor deals with their sheep already. But when I'm sitting in the office talking to folks and I have a Bible in my hand, I say, let's go to the Ten Commandments. Have you read through the Ten Commandments recently? They're hard to read through because it shows us not our goodness, but our sin. And as we see what God's expectation for us is and how we have fallen short, bad word, thought, or deed, we realize we need someone or something else. Turn with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. And look with me in verse 19. Romans chapter 3, verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. So that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. In other words, by being judged by how well we keep God's commandments, we all fall short. But here's the good news, verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, the righteousness of God, the perfection of God through faith. And we look back in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and verse 30. It says, and because of Him, you are in Jesus Christ who has become to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Aren't you glad that we don't stand before the cross in our own works? The Bible in the Old Testament says that our righteousness is but filthy rags before God. But we stand through faith in Christ, in His perfection. Amen? Amen. In His perfection, not ours. What a sigh of relief. Something to weep over, That's something to weep over. I don't have to be judged on my actions. I am judged in Christ's perfection. Whew, what a burden off our backs. But it doesn't stop there. It moves to the next word, which is sanctification. Oh, I love this word. And we had a little discussion. I I love when David does the, the bagel boys, right? The bagel boys. I may have to tune in again, even when I'm in Korea. Uh, not at 0-2 in the morning, but anyway. <laughs> but we had a great discussion, and we talked about sanctification. What is it? Well, the moment you receive Christ, you are justified in Christ. Just as I've never sinned. Past, present, and future, all your sins are washed away. But you're also set apart into God's family. That's what word, the word holy means, to be set apart for the Lord. You put your faith in Christ. You give your life to Christ. You're justified. You're set apart. Then And then it begins a process. You are sanctified to God, but sanctification happens then, but also it's a process. A process of being transformed. You see, I love the way John MacArthur says it. We spend the rest of our lives living out what God has put in, becoming who we are. We are perfect in Christ. He has imputed his perfection on us. He has given us his righteousness. We've been justified. And now God fills us with his Holy Spirit and he calls us to live for him every day and he sanctifies us in that. Set us apart and becomes more and more like Christ every day. We're not perfect. We're being perfected in our actions. We're perfect in God's eyes, but his Holy Spirit works through us and perfects us so that I can become who I am. Who am I? I'm perfect in Christ. Who am I? I don't have a negative word, thought, or deed in Christ. I am perfect. Well, now I'm going to spend the rest of my life through the power of the Holy Spirit seeking God, putting him first, making him my object, my priority, and he works himself out by the Holy Spirit. That perfection comes out, and I live it out. That's sanctification. That is transformation. But let me tell you something that's so very important in that process. This. You know why I think America, Christianity sometimes suffers? Because we don't know this. We don't know the word of God. We allow society to dictate our thoughts and our emotions drive the train instead of truth. Truth is a person, Jesus Christ. But God gives us his doctrinal truth in his word. I want you to turn with me to the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians, if you would. Ephesians chapter 4. I love this passage of scriptures. My wife was here. She'll be here in the second service. She will smile and probably roll her eyes because I use it all the time. I call it a refrigeration verse. In other words, you type it out and you put it in the refrigerator. Look at it every day. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to the hardness of their hearts. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to every practice, every kind of impurity. But that is not how you've learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your formal manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, let me tell you, I've taken Greek two years, and I've taken Hebrew one year. Don't be impressed. I barely made it out of all of them. I mean, I scratched through. I can barely speak proper English, much less other languages. But as I study, there are a few, just a few things that stuck, okay? This is one of those things. If you look with me in verse 22, it says there, Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. That word, to put off, that phrase, because the Greek is built around the verb phrases, is a middle verb, which means someone else helps you do it. That is the Holy Spirit. Let me give you the country translation. Take off the stinking thinking. Put off the old self which belongs to your former manner of life, and corrupt through deceitful desires. Verse 23, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And in verse 24, put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Take off the old self. It's a middle verb. God helps us. Put on the new self, the good thinking. God helps us. But there is a verse there that links those two. Verse 23, to be renewed in the attitude of your mind. What does that mean? Well, let me tell you what that isn't. It isn't a middle verb. It isn't an active verb. It's a passive verb, which means God does the renewing to you. You see, every time I pick up this word, it's like a washboard that scrubs my mind out. And it enables me, through the power of the Holy Spirit, take off that old stinking thinking, put on the good thinking, and be filled with the Holy Spirit. As I do that daily, it transforms me into the image of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. One of the great tools of transformation, of sanctification, is the Word of God. I need to stay in it. I know Pastor David has some things that we're to do every week, and it's a great thing because what heads it up is staying in the Word of God. If you ask God to help you fall in love with His Word, He will. Because His Word is great. God says in Isaiah 55, as far as the heavens are above the earth, so far my thoughts above your thoughts, my words above your words. His word is powerful. So it's like the old Indian chief or Native American chief a hundred plus years ago when the missionary had to leave him for a long time and finally come back and he asked the chief how he was doing. The chief said, well, my life is kind of like these two dogs you see here. One has been run off. He was a mangy old dog that gave me a hard time. The other is my new dog and, and, uh, He is obedient, supportive. I name my new dog Faith. I name my old dog Flesh. And they get into a terrible fight sometimes. And the missionary was very intrigued. He said, Chief, who wins? And the old chief smiled and said, Whoever I feed the most. Whoever I feed the most. So we have wisdom, we have righteousness, we have sanctification. And glory ends by saying we have redemption. You understand what the word redemption means? To buy back. As we talk about our freedom, we're saying the battle hymn of the Republic. I want you to think about an auction block with slaves. I want you to think about chains on them, being beaten, being ill-treated. And then think about someone who comes and buys them back to freedom, but doesn't do it just With money, but with their very life. Jesus Christ bought us back. He paid his life as ransom, his blood as payment for your and my freedom. Now, if we ever need motivation to draw close to our precious Lord, there it is. Have you thought about what he paid to give us life in Christ? The more we know his love and the great sacrifice he does, the more we're able to, as verse 1 out of chapter 12 of Romans, in view of his mercy, offer our lives back to him, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, for this is your spiritual act of worship. Don't be squeezed into the world's image, in verse 2, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will know what God's good and pleasing and perfect will is. Christ's love motivates us. It says in In uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it compels us. One died for all, we're all to die to self and live for Him. As we know His love, as we know His redemption, as we know His payment, He motivates us to offer ourselves a living sacrifice back to Him. There's your motivation. Back hundreds of years ago in the nation of Great Britain, there was a legislator by the name of William Wilberforce. Now, William grew up in a home, and as a child, this was back in the late 1700s, he was drawn to evangelism, to Christianity, to know the Lord deeply. And he went and lived with an aunt and uncle, and they stoked those fires. But his mother, his father had died at an earlier age, and his mother brought him back home, and that was lost for a little while. But when he became a young man, He met Jesus Christ, was made new. Some people say born again, giving his life to Christ. When he gave his life to Christ, he wrestled with being in politics. Imagine that. And a great preacher who had been delivered from being a slave trader, John Newton, many of you heard his name, right? mentored him and said, you need to take what God has done in your life and plant it into the legislature, into parliament, and make a difference. William Wilberforce did just that. And he put into a motion uh, regulation laws that made slavery in Great Britain illegal. That was a forerunner of what happened eventually in America almost 100 years later, or 50 or so years later. William Wilberforce was a force for good because he took the freedom God gave him he realized wisdom in Christ. that went against the common wisdom of the day. He realized the righteousness in Christ. He realized the sanctification. He was, he was being sanctified every day. He realized redemption in Christ. He took that in the power of God and he planted his life in where God called him and made a huge difference in the world, not just theologically or theoretically, but in action practically. His orthodoxy turned to orthopraxy. And that's what God calls us to do. Our orthodoxy isn't really as powerful as it can be unless it's lived out in orthopraxy. I don't know where God has planted you today, but I guarantee you this, He's got you there for a reason. He's got you there for a reason. He wants you to know the freedom that Christ brings, the wisdom, the righteousness, the sanctification, the redemption. And he wants to use you as you know him. Christ has got to be our centerpiece. We can't do anything without him. He is divine. We're the branches. Without him, we can do nothing. But as we know him and love him more and more, don't be surprised where he's got you or what he's called you to join him to do. Who knows? There may be a next will in here. If you're willing to give your life to Christ and let him use you. God takes care of all the details. Trust me, I could have never figured out in my life at this point. And God had the plan, and now he's got the rest of it. Today, do you know Jesus? We can come to church, we can dress up, and that's a great thing. I love church, boy, I've missed church. But if your name is on a church role, but not on the role of God through knowing his son, you've missed it. Do you know Jesus today? Do you love him? If you know his love, you'll love him more. Because God's here. Jesus is here if you need him to say yes. You got a great church family, a great pastor that'll help you grow, help you become more sanctified. God needs people. I'm going to tell you something. Our nation doesn't need more laws. It needs people who are filled with Jesus living out their lives. That's what we need. Thank you for listening to Island Recast. For more information, please go to gmpc.org. So Pastor David has been gracious enough to allow me to give you the charge. The charge is to know the freedom that Christ brings. He is our wisdom. He is our righteousness. He is our sanctification. And He is our redemption. In short, He is our life as we know Him and He fills us and we commit to Him by His power and grace, we live out that freedom. Look out. The world desperately needs to know what true freedom is.